You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We continue to hear the public reading of Holy Scripture this afternoon and the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you are slain and with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fouled down and worshipped. This afternoon we consider our confession in Lord's Day 49 of the Hutterberg Catechism. What is the third petition? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey thy will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes the most obvious things escape us. The third petition is a prime example. 
The Catechism has done us a service in explaining the Lord's Prayer to us, petition by petition, but it's equally important that we see the connection between the various petitions and are aware of the prayer as a whole. It's okay to pluck petals from a flower to wonder the more at all its parts, as a botanist might do. But we should also be able to look at a flower in its untouched beauty to wonder at how beautiful it looks whole, as a florist might do. Normally, we give our attention to the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, when we're dealing with the third petition, your will be done. What we might fail to consider, however, is that the, this phrase is attached to each of the first three petitions. Jesus really teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven as much as your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With these words, on earth as it is in heaven, we are really praying for help to be like the angels in heaven, in hallowing God's name, in advancing His kingdom, and in doing His will. In the first place, we pray that God will help us to be like the angels in hallowing His name. The angels are mighty in their worship of God, as we just read in Revelation 5. And they provide provide us with a model, an example of how we ought to worship. Remember what the Spirit reveals to us in Hebrews 12, verse 22, comparing the worship of the old covenant to that of the new. But you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. When we worship, we are really ascending into the heavens and joining the myriads of angels before God's throne. We have a striking picture of that in Revelation 5, which we read. Here we have the description of a glorious worship service. Perhaps you will turn there again with me. Here we have the description in Revelation 5 of of a glorious worship service that is taking place before the throne of God and of the Lamb. First, the four living creatures and the 24 elders sing a new song to the Lamb, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Next, we hear the angels in the verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Then we hear what the angels say. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then... What happens? 
Well, look at verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then it goes back to the four living creatures and the elders in verse 14. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see what's happening here? This is antiphonal worship. Responsive worship. And the angels play a central role. It's as if the angels bring together the worship of heaven and earth. First, the angels respond to the living creatures and the elders who are before God's throne in heaven. And at their cue, the creatures on earth join the heavenly worship service. Worshiping and praising God, hallowing God's name, is the calling of the angels. That's what we read in Psalm 103. Right at the end of that psalm. Psalm that we all know well. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts, that is, the angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts, you servants who do His will. And they fulfill this calling willingly and faithfully. And they, in turn, the angels, in turn, call all people on earth, in fact, all creatures of the earth, to worship God. As we also read in Revelation 14, the verses 6 and 7, Then I saw another angel... Isn't this an amazing book, Revelation? Then I saw another angel flying in midair. Better than the greatest movie. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Angels calling on all creation including us, to praise God, to worship Him. And they do that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center and focus. Jesus Christ is the purpose and the goal of every activity of the angels. If the angels bring together the worship of heaven and earth, It is only because Jesus Christ has made that possible by coming down from heaven to earth, by splitting the heavens and coming down to save us who are here on earth, to use those words of Psalm 18. By His work of mediation, His atonement. As Jesus says to His disciples at the end of John 1, Perhaps you will turn there too with me. Very interesting comment of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
right at the end of that chapter, Nathaniel is, is so surprised that, that Jesus knows who he is. This is when Jesus calls Nathanael to be his disciple. Jesus answered, verse 40, 48, uh, start at verse 48 there of John 1. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. And listen to what Jesus says here. Verse 51. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Hear that? You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the one upon whom the angels of heaven ascend and descend. It is because of His mediating work that the passage between heaven and earth is is opened. That the heavens have been split open to the earth. Now you understand too why the angels appeared at the birth of our Lord Jesus. That, that glorious, that glorious event on the birthday of our Lord Jesus Christ. The angels and the glory of God came down from heaven, as it were. Heaven came down to earth and was there around the angels. Because it is Jesus who opens the way between heaven and earth. He is the one who breaks the barrier between heaven and earth. He is the one who opens the way so that we have access to worship before the throne of God in the presence of the angels. Yes, brothers and sisters, we could even call Jesus our worship leader. Consider what we read in Hebrews 2, the verses 12 through 13. He says, and here the writer is speaking about Jesus, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, He says, Here I am and the children God has given me. See, that's what Jesus does when we gather for worship. He declares the name of God in our midst. That's what we do when we sing the Psalms especially. Then we are, we are really singing what Jesus has put in our mouth. And it's as if we, we, we are singing what Jesus Himself is singing in our presence. And then, Jesus as our worship leader, He, he is in our presence and then he, he presents us to God. Verse 13, Here I am. Here am I and the children God has given me. 
Isn't that tremendous to think about that every time we worship? Think about what's happening. We are being brought into heaven before the throne of God and who is bringing us there? Our Lord Jesus Christ, surrounded by the angels, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And you see, that is why we pray, hallowed be Your name on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, teach us, Father, how to praise You like the angels praise You. How how to make worship our vocation the way worship is the vocation, the calling of the angels of heaven. Teach us, O Lord, to worship You with the same zeal, with the same fervor, with the same energy as the angels in heaven, with the same focus. May that be true, brothers and sisters, for us. Let us pray this petition with with all the more zeal. The angels are also an example of us. The angels are also an example for us in advancing God's kingdom. They are so consumed with fervor for the glory of God's name that they cannot countenance any person or any power that raises itself against God especially not the devil and all the other wicked angels, to use the words of Lord's Day 48. The angels are in fact employed in fighting for the cause of God's kingdom. We've already mentioned Psalm 103, where the angels are called God's heavenly host. That is, His heavenly army. Remember how they appear on the scene of Christ's birth? We should picture them, as they're described to us in the Scriptures, not as choir boys in long flowing robes and high-pitched voices as they're often portrayed, but as mighty shouting warriors. That's why the, the, the shepherds were so afraid. These angels bear flashing swords in their hands like the angels who stand guarding the entrance to paradise. Oh yes, the angels know how to sing all right, but they sing as mighty, courageous warriors. In the book of Daniel, Michael is presented as one of the chief angels, an archangel. And how is he presented there in Daniel 10? He is presented, Michael is, as a valiant warrior fighting the battles of Yahweh against the enemies of Israel and against the evil powers of the spirit world. And that's the sort of picture that emerges in Revelation 14 too. If you will turn there with me again. Revelation 14, there we read how how the angels play an important role in bringing God's judgment and vengeance on those who oppose God and His kingdom. We see one of the angels swinging his sickle on the earth, gathering the grapes and throwing them into the great winepress of God's wrath. In the following chapters, 
In Revelation 15 and 16, we're told about the seven plagues of the seven angels and the seven bowls of God's wrath which they pour out upon the earth. Scary stuff, it is. It's true. Perhaps you remember the, the story of, of the defeat of the, of the mighty Assyrian army of, of Sennacherib when they came up to Judah to attack Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. Do you remember how Hezekiah pleaded with God for deliverance against all odds? It looked like they were sunk. Oh, well, we read in Isaiah 37, God's response to Hezekiah's prayer. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 180,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Half the population of Surrey. When the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. 180,000 men slain by the angel of the Lord overnight. Also remember the promise of God to the Israelites when He delivered them from Egypt and was bringing them to Canaan. Remember what He promised? I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And many more such examples can be given. Perhaps one more example we'll do from the New Testament. In Matthew 13, we're told in the parable of the weeds, and we're told there in that parable of the weeds that at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send out the angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They that is, the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not the job of choir boys and long flowing garments. Mighty warriors fighting for the kingdom of God. So when we pray that God's kingdom will come, then we pray that that also through us, God would destroy the works of the devil and every power that raises itself against Him and every conspiracy against His Word. We are praying that God would give to us too the courage and strength and power of the angels to fight the fight of God's kingdom. That He would give us courage. That He would give us strength And we also pray that we will be like the angels in doing God's will. We've already observed from Psalm 103 that the angels are, are characterized as the mighty one, as the mighty ones who do God's bidding, who obey His word, His servants who do His will. Remember how there were two cherubim perched on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. We're going to read about that in Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. 
verses 18 and following. Very compelling. This is what God commanded Moses, make an atonement cover beginning at verse 17 of Exodus 25. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Make two cherubim, that is, two angels, two cherubim, two angels out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. One angel on one end, one angel on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherub, the cherubim, the angels are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. See? These two cherubim, these two angels in God's presence where God was, where God was seated, invisible though He was, there in God's presence. And this, this is a reminder to us how the angels are, are always in God's presence. They, they have their wings outstretched. Why? Because they're ready to go where God sends them and do what God commands them. They're always attentive to God. They're, they're looking towards God. They're, they're facing, not just facing each other, but they're facing God. They're looking towards the cover, ready to do God's bidding. Think also of what it says in Matthew 18, verse 10, that the angels in heaven always see the face of the Father in heaven. They're always looking at Father's face so that they can tell when He's ready to speak, so that they're ready to do what He commands we have a similar picture in Isaiah 6. Part of their task is, in fact, to serve us. Think of what we are told in Hebrews 1, verse 12. There it says, rather, Hebrews 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The angels are ministering spirits, serving spirits, sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation. That's you and me. They are, in a sense, at our service as they were at Jesus' service. You remember how they were in Jesus' service when He was on earth? You remember how the angels came and attended Jesus after He was tempted by the devil? We're also told in Luke 22 how during the intense agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him. That's what is promised to us too, brothers and sisters. Angels also help us in our time of need, in our times of temptation. They are there to strengthen us, to help us. 
to protect us, to give us courage. And we too are promised the protection and aid of the angels. For example, in Psalm 91, remember God's promise there in Psalm 91, for He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And you know who that serpent is a reference to. It's a reference to Satan himself. The angels help us. The angels strengthen us. The angels lift us up so that we can overcome the devil and crush his head under our feet. So that we can put Satan's head under our heel. Just remember that. When Satan is attacking you, when he's trying to tempt you, The angels do not only rejoice to do God's will themselves, they also rejoice when we do God's will. Indeed, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It means also being content with the calling that God gives us. The third petition is indeed about our calling as well. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Being content with the calling that God gives us. That's what we pray for in this petition as well. Notice the proof text that the Catechism mentions. The Catechism has as proof text for that 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. It's very interesting. 1 Corinthians 7, the verses 17 through 24, and why don't we just read that? 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 17. Nevertheless, here here Paul is talking to the Corinthians about marriage. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Doing God's will. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in this situation God called him to. Being content in the place where we are. Not envying this person who was born in that family or that country or to this calling, whatever, but being content with the calling that you have, that God has given you. 
what happens when we are not content? Well, the consequences can be pretty drastic indeed. Think of what happened to the angels who were not content with the positions that God gave them. We read about that in two passages towards the end of the New Testament. The first one is 2 Peter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter 2, verse 4, where it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, and so on. See, that's what happened to the angels when they sinned, when they were not happy with the the calling, the position that God had given them. They were put into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. When they joined the, the Satan, Lucifer, the evil angel, when they joined him rebelling against God, that was their punishment. And we have something similar said in the second last book of the Bible, the letter of Jude. Jude, verse 6. And it says there, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. That's what those angels who were not content with their positions and rebelled along with Satan as their destiny. Everlasting perdition. Jude uses this to warn us not to be disobedient, but to do God's will. And that's why we need to pray. The third petition, Your will be done. Let us learn to be like the angels in heaven, to be hallowing God's name on earth as it is in heaven. The angels are always worshiping, not just on the Lord's Day, not just on Sundays. The angels are worshiping with their whole being and posture. Their whole being and posture, they are oriented to the continual and unending worship and praise of God. Let that be our posture in this coming week and every day of our lives. A posture oriented to the continual and unending worship and praise of God. And let us be boldly advancing God's kingdom. That is, let us be courageously fighting the spiritual battle without giving up. We are in a vicious battle. Let us be strong and courageous. The angels, let us remember, are fighting with us. Or better, the angels are fighting for us. And we too will see the dead bodies of gods and our enemies on the battlefield on the morning of the great day. And let us, like the angels, be eager to do God's will.
May our eyes always be fixed on our God. May our ears always be ready to hear Him. May our mouths always be ready to praise Him. May our hands always be ready to work for Him. May our feet always be ready to run for Him. For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.